This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, 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 everyone. It's Wednesday once again, and it's time for Catalog and Cocktails. Live from Austin, Data.World is our sponsor. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Tim Gasper, uh, VP of Product over at Data.World, longtime data nerd, longtime product guy, and excited to have our honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about data with you, joined by co-host Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, Principal Scientist here at Data.World, and Wednesday, middle of the week, towards the end of the day. I'm actually on the East Coast today, so it is 5 o'clock. It's toward, it now is almost the end of my day. And uh, today is such an exciting day because we get to talk to the one and only Bob Muglia, the former CEO of Snowflake, uh, who's, had, who's had an amazing career. And we have the privilege and honor to be, pick your brain here today. Bob, how are you doing? Good. It's good to see you guys. It's great to be here in this, this, this talk. So awesome. excited to have you. So let's kick it off with our Tell and Toast. So what are we drinking and what are we toasting for today, Bob? Well, I'm uh, I'm drinking my usual. It's two o'clock here in Seattle, so I'm not I haven't you know broken anything else out. So I'm drinking my usual Diet Coke in the afternoon. Um, and you know, hey, why not today? Let's let's toast Knowledge Graph, shall we? Let's have the Knowledge Graph conversation. Oh yeah, yeah, I love this one. Uh, Tim, what are you drinking today? I am trying something new. I've got some uh, blood orange cordial. And so I made a cocktail called a rhyme or reason. It's blood orange, uh, rye whiskey, lime, and a little bit of orgeat. Uh, and it's pretty tasty. Wow. Uh, well, I'm in actually in Atlanta this week. Uh, and uh, my apartment here, we don't have, a, don't have a big bar like in my other house. So I only have is uh, a vodka tamarindo, which I've brought from, from Mexico, and I have some nice aha sparkling butter. I love these now. Uh, so that's my mix today, which is actually really refreshing. And I am with you, Bob. We're going to be so excited to talk about knowledge graphs and knowledge. So let's cheers to that. Uh, cheers for, uh, hey, we have this, uh, our summit is next week, and it's all about knowledge first and knowledge superheroes. So cheers, toast to knowledge. Cheers to yeah. knowledge. So we got our 20 warm-up question today, which is, you were the first product manager for SQL Server. So what's your favorite movie sequel? Well, I have no, no connection between those two things whatsoever. <laughs> um, it's, and in general movies, the sequels are generally really awful. I like the, I like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Can I count, can I count the two towers as, 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 as the sequel? Or, you know, another good one, I thought about this a little more, and, and it's a little bit violent perhaps, but Kill Bill 2 was better than Kill Bill. I, that's for sure. That's Ooh. for sure. So. That's an and, interesting and I like Tarantino. Tarantino is always fun anyway. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. Nice. That's cool. how, about you, how about you, Tim? Um, you know, that's a hard question. I, I'm kind of with you, Bob. Usually the sequels are worse. Um, if, if I if I had to pick one, maybe uh, Terminator 2, because like I thought, you know, the better special effects and the bad guy was really cool there. I, I like uh, it when Arnold is the good guy. So that was that was a good one. That was a good one. I'm a, I'm a Die Hard fan, and I guess it's a sequel to Trilogy. Well, there's now many of them. I think Die Hard 4 or 5, like, that's not really bad. But um, 2 and 3, I like. So they're, it's always it's my favorite Christmas movie, number one. But anyways, <laughs> all right. Let's, let's, I'm just so excited. Let's get into this whole, our, our discussion here. So, all right, Bob, honest, no BS. Um, lately, we've been starting to finally hear more about semantic layers, knowledge layers, knowledge graphs. Why now? 
Well, because I think the industry is is reaching a point where there's where the challenges that customers are starting to have are exposing problems that today's data platforms don't fully solve. And uh, you know, if you look what what where we're, where we're heading, where everybody is moving towards, and what everybody is doing is focusing on building data applications. Um, and and that's really I, I think if you look at where predictive analytics are going. It's about building systems that eventually become part of the, they're part of the modern data stack, but they become part of the customers, ultimately their operational system to actually uh, do predictions, to, to, to do predictions based on data and to, and, to, and to take actions autonomously, essentially. I mean, that's essentially what they need to do is autonomously take actions. And, you know, the platforms were really, really in the early stages of that. And, and people are trying to build a set of data applications. And one of the kinds of applications, and this is the space that you guys are in, is governance. And I'll just be the first to say governance is a data app. And it's the only way that I can possibly think about it as a data app, you know, that essentially is built on top of the modern data stack platform. Um, it's probably worth taking a second, just as a second to talk about the modern data stack before we go yeah. into some of these yeah, other no, things. Because I think that's the foundation really. And you know we've we've if you went back I put the I put the creation of the modern data stack to 2012 when um, AWS bought Par Excel and introduced Redshift and then in the years or two that followed we had an initial stack of of applications predominantly SaaS applications being connected to Redshift you know through tool through ELT's tools I think Fivetran has made a big difference in this in terms of demonstrating a new kind of model in terms of a data pipeline and 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 creating an operational system that then gets transformed within the warehouse I mean before Fivetran and Fivetran really did change this I mean I was there I watched it happen and had the conversations with the architects back in 2014 with George Taylor and Mel who was the chief who was George's architect there about the idea of building an idempotent pipeline and and building an operation essentially copying all the data from the operational system and putting it in the data warehouse and doing the transforms in the data warehouse and that was new back then in 20 i'm talking about 2013 20 i mean 2014 2015 now and that was new back then because you know in the past the data warehouses were so damn expensive people couldn't do that and that's why etl tools worked differently in the past well with redshift out there super cheap you could start to do that in the in the um, in the data warehouse, and then Snowflake came along, and and uh, and and because it was built to take advantage of cloud architecture, you know, particularly the separation of, of storage and compute. I mean, it 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 really unlocked the limitations for customers and, and allowed people to build highly scalable systems. And that design pattern of that compute and storage separation is now being copied essentially by all of the major platforms. You know, and so we sort of are in a situation today where we have five major platforms that are all converging on what I would call similar solutions. I mean, the, the details are different in each case, but the solution set that's being built by AWS, Microsoft, Google, Snowflake, and Databricks. I mean, those are the five platforms that I see emerging as, as service platforms that are viable, are targets for people, you know, with the modern data stack. 
the solution sets that can be built on all of them are quite sim you know, similar. Now, you have biases to preferences. I will always be biased to Snowflake. I'll be the first to say that. I'll always be biased to Snowflake. You know, I helped design the thing. And, and, and But that doesn't say the other ones you can't. And people are solving problems very effectively on these other solutions, too. And we're now in a situation where we have literally thousands of customers having successfully deployed that. And they're saying, okay, great, we're doing this. We're starting to do predictive analytics. Maybe we use Databricks for this. Maybe we use the native tools of the platform. We're seeing that now. Every one of these platforms has their own predictive analytics tools that are part of it. And of course, Databricks has a data warehouse that they're now touting. Um, we can do the whole Lakehouse, con Lakehouse to that discussion today if you want to take five minutes on that too. Um, but uh, uh, you know, they've all are converging to something that we're, which is a very viable thing. And 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 people are wanting to build data apps, but but also to the point. People are wanting to govern these systems, and they they've now you know gotten in a situation where all their data is together in one place inside their data lake slash warehouse, and and you know that's great, and it allows them to solve a lot of problems, but it really brings to, to the need the, the need for governance and determining who has appropriate access to that data, you know, and the problems associated with governance are very much a superset of the problems that you need for a data application. I mean, to me, a data app needs to have the properties of the modern data stack. You know, the, my definition, by the way, of the modern data stack is that it is delivered as a software, it is analytics, data analytics delivered as a software service that leverages the public cloud for scale and low cost, and its SQL is used for data modeling. You know, so I use those three criteria to define what is a modern data stack. And again, I see these five platforms, you know, AWS, uh, BigQuery, Snowflake, uh, Databricks, and then Microsoft Synapse being instantiations of, of that platform. And Bob, and just for clarity, these, when you say analytics, you mean like the use case, the use case of the stack is for right. analytical purposes. It's a platform. All of this is a platform for people to build solutions. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, I draw this picture actually as a circle because you have, you know, the, the, the main application, you know, the, the operational system that, that which is what the people use. And to me, these are really people applications, right? If you think about Salesforce or NetSuite or, or you know, Zendesk, you know, or even email is an example of a, or, or Slack is another really good one, is, is a people application. They're designed to be interacted by people and, and, and they, they don't do anything pretty much unless somebody does something to them. And, and, and that is being used as a source of data that is pipelined into these data lake data warehouses, these modern cloud data warehouses that today have this analytics stack built on top of it you know typically python is the primary language that people are using for that and people are programming with a data frame and that style of programming is pretty well established and and then you know we're now seeing reverse etl tools coming out to actually take data you know and insights from that 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 uh, modern data platform and and put it back into the people applications and that's really about data apps finding and doing things autonomously and then invoking different actions elsewhere, sending an email, posting a Slack message, taking some kind of action to affect a customer, whatever makes sense. So, you know, if you look at this problem, if you look at all of this, you say, okay, what's the problem that people are having? This gets back to your question. It's a long answer, but the beginning of the question, which is that governance is, is where people are struggling. 
and you know governance inherits all of the challenges of a data app it needs to it needs you know it should be it should be a service it should be it should be something that you don't have to run yourself it it should leverage the modern data stack and integrate into the modern data stack um, and certainly scale like the modern data stack does um, and and you know and like like data apps it needs to be able to determine when data changes and take some kind of action autonomously from that but the additional requirement that governance has that makes it so problematic is that you're dealing with uh, metadata now about the data, and you potentially have millions of metadata elements in a large or enterprise organization. And, and if you take a look at the combinations of relationships between them, you have you know, almost an infinite number of combinations between them. And the, the kinds of analytic queries people wanna run um, for governance requires effectively joins between those relationships, large numbers of those relationships and SQL databases just can't handle it. Um, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't support dozens and dozens of joins or hundreds of joins effectively because they use algorithms, you know, that are based on binary joins that go back 40 years, you know, 40 years to, to 1970s, 1980s. They all use the same thing, DB2, Oracle, SQL Server, Redshift, Snowflake, BigQuery, you name it. Um, they all use a similar set of algorithms that have been developed essentially over a 40 year period. And they just don't scale to that. And that's why people are looking at graph solutions as a data model um, for, for metadata. And you know that's fine, that's fine. It is sort of a graph, but I'm gonna argue that the problem really requires a relational approach because you know, when you look at these the, at databases, you know, and I, I go back, you know, I did a little bit of programming in Codasil in the 1970s. I did a fair amount of programming in hierarchical and networking databases in the 70s and early 80s. They were awful in a number of ways, but they're very powerful too. And if you, and, and even today's document databases have navigational attributes to them. And there's nothing wrong with navigational structures where you have hard-coded links in databases if, you're, if your design patterns are similar. And if you're building an operational system where people do the same thing every day, they're you know, putting in an airline transaction or something, a navigational database can make a lot of sense there because the design pattern is consistent and you know what the links are between the different nodes. But now you move into a world where the challenge is you have entities essentially um that uh that that are uh you know we call it a node call it an entity with relationships you can call those edges or relationships it's a very similar concept essentially the same concept whether you want to think about it in a graph graph way or a, a relational way and you now have millions of those and you have to be able to work with them and, and frankly there is not a product on the market today that's generally available that is a database that supports that effectively and that's where I think relational knowledge graphs are the answer. And that's why I think it's so interesting. And that's so, I, so I, I want to, this is brilliant uh, conversation going on, which I'm going to go myself and repeat and listen again, but I want to kind of summarize some stuff we talked. And I know Sarah is here is asking the chat, the three criteria for the modern data stack. So one, we're effectively, we are just delivering analytics on SaaS, leverage is a public cloud and SQL is being used for data models. Those are the three things that you talked about. Yeah, the three things are, are software service, Leverages the public cloud for scale and cost, right? Because that's the thing is the public cloud is so much cheaper, plus it scales like nothing else does. And then SQL data model, yeah. 
Okay. And then we, we started this conversation kind of on, on, on like why knowledge and, and, and I love how we got into data apps. We're talking about governance as being your first app. And I think we've had this conversation before, right? I think your first application on a knowledge graph is of your metadata manager. Your data catalog is your, probably your first application on your data catalog. Would you, you agree on that? Yeah, you start with the catalog. You absolutely start with the catalog. And then and, from that, you model it and, and you build a data model from that. So so th this is something that we always talk about, right? The kind of the crawl, walk and run, let's not boil the ocean type of thing. One of the stuff that I really like that you just said, or I'm kind of rephrasing in my words, is that there are these known versus unknown use cases, right? So if they're known use cases, you know that they're going to be transactional, they're repeated and stuff. And kind of that's why it's fine if you're just going to be building things on your like traditional uh, kind of structured relational databases, but it, it's when you start thinking about so many different entities and so many possible relationships, and then those use cases are known, but they're going to be so much more than unknown. And if you even think about it from a metadata perspective, all this metadata, all this stuff is connected that you're going to want to start asking the obvious, like, how many tables do I have? How many databases? But then you're going to start asking like, well, what is the most important uh, uh, stored procedure that is being used that is not being governed or stuff? And then you're doing some sort of graph analytics type of stuff that now you're starting to ask questions that you didn't even think you could ask. And I think when you're starting to realize that you're going more into those unknown use cases, that's where having the knowledge and knowledge graphs, or I, I, I get the point that we want to be thinking also kind of from a SQL perspective, where you're talking about a relational knowledge graph, but in general, thinking about knowledge is where you want to go if you're dealing with a lot of the unknowns, that's kind of a, a takeaway I'm having here about this. What, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think that, that, that's, a, that, that is an appropriate path for people to take. Okay. And it's, it's an imperative for it. I think there's generally speaking an incredible amount of utility to building a business ontology and, and being able to manage a business through terms that are consistent with the business versus versus you know esoterica that's in in yes. the programs that runs the complexity i mean let me let me let me back up a second which is so so my whole job in life has been essentially to take infrastructure that is complicated and very difficult for people to use and and simplify it to the point where it can be deployed and used by as many people as possible. And I learned this at Microsoft, right? I mean, this was, this was what I was trained on this at Microsoft and that's kind of what Microsoft does in a way, certainly did. I don't want to come now, but I think it's also true today, but you know, it takes like SQL server wasn't the first data, relational database on the market. And, and it wasn't by any means the, the, the most you know, broadly used or anything when Microsoft started using it. But when we got on, when we took over it, took it, took over our own ability to development on it, and we were able to bring it to many places, particularly small and medium-sized businesses that had never been touched by, by uh, these, these systems. Remember, go back to 1992, small businesses used pencil and paper, okay? That's how they, that's how they, they did business by and large. And that's not, that's not the typical case today. And they've been replaced by, by systems that were originally PCs and servers and are now SaaS applications that are, that are delivering equivalent and superior now services. But the idea of taking something that is very hard to use and making it broadly generalized is something that I think is very important. And, and right now we're at a point where the modern data stack in SQL, particularly when combined with you know, the, the current state of the art, which I think is pretty primitive, but, but the current state of the art of, of, uh, of machine learning and data and, 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 and advanced analytics, 
Um, people can do an awful lot with that. I mean, there's a lot of power in that. It breaks down, however, if your challenge is, is, is if you're trying to work with a data model that has a lot of separate entities that need to be joined together in some ways. And that's where people tend to look towards graph-based solutions. You know, there are domains like the chemical, there's sets of era of domains where that, that kind of a model is more inherent and appropriate than a traditional SQL data model is. You know, the other thing to realize about SQL is, you know, while SQL is great and, and Lord knows SQL has treated me as well as just about anybody on the planet, um, uh, uh, it's not gonna, it's not God's gift to languages. I mean, it's not the last language that will ever be used. And, and, and it's not gonna go away anytime soon. You know, I'm not proposing that. In fact, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing the heyday of SQL currently today, but its limitations are also becoming clear. I mean, it's limitations, the semantics are incomplete. Um, and there were some things that were just done wrong, like the handling of nulls, which is just like, <laughs> wrong. <laughs> it, 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 uh, this, is, this is a quick wrong. call out. I mean, I've, uh, I've been working with, uh, with, uh, with Leon, Professor Leonard Lipkin, I have a PhD student uh, uh, at Edinburgh, where we've been doing this yeah, big this, survey. That's, have him on. It's the funniest. He's, he's, he's hysterical. He's got some of his uh, I mean, luck, luckily, I get the chance to talk to Leonid every week, and, and we're, we're going to be releasing the results of our survey soon. But So you should have him on this podcast. He would be a good one for this podcast. So. All right. That's a good idea. But, but Tim, I, I know we wanted to get uh, this. Let's, I want to let's keep going on sequel. Tim, you had some stuff that we we're going to Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, so Bob, you mentioned that like, you know, SQL is sort of the, the lingua franca right now in terms of uh, a lot of things, but data modeling kind of included. Uh, and then you've got the rise of things like DBT. Like, wh why do you think that, um, you know, so much uh, of the gravity around data modeling has has centered around SQL? And, you know, what what, what trends are you seeing there that you're, you're worried about and that you're excited about? I'm excited that that, that that the trend has moved to SQL. I'll start by saying that I'm excited. And I actually think data modeling can be done effectively in SQL. Okay, I'll say that. You can and I think uh uh for for straightforward data modeling for SQL databases, SQL is is a great way to do it. And in fact, it is the way you know you do it. I I had this conversation uh at one point with Christian Kleinerman, who is the he runs product at, at Snowflake. And, and we were talking about modeling and, you know, I am a big fan of the work that Lloyd Tab has did with LookML and, and uh, we adopted at Snowflake Look, Looker very early and we wound up uh, using it as our, as our initial BI tool. I never loved the UI of Looker, but I thought LookML was great. And, uh, 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 the, uh, and we used it a lot. But you know what we wound up discovering, and what bothered me was that we were using it inside Snowflake, you know, for our data modeling early on. And I'm like, this is wrong. I mean, this is I got we're doing it. I know why we're doing it, but this does not belong in a BI tool. This belongs earlier in the lifecycle. It needs to go into the core database, and we need to have a platform. I'm mean, a platform guy. We need a platform for being able to run any tools on it. And we need to be able to use Tableau. And, and in particular, I was like, dang it, we need to bring Tableau into Snowflake because a lot of our customers use Tableau. And I always want to use what our customers are using. And most of our big customers were, you went and you said, what kind of BI tools do you use? And they said, well, tell me which ones are out there. And I use them all. Um, uh, uh, and so we wanted to have that support. And so you need to be able to do data modeling someplace else. And I remember talking to Christian 
about because there's some very beautiful attributes of LookML. And Christian looked at me and said, Bob, you know, the future of data modeling is SQL. And 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 uh, and this is, you know, and you can do what you need to do, and that's where we need to go. And it was about that same time that Tristan was really beginning to come out with there were the early versions of dbt this was fishtown analytics and and we saw some of the early versions of it and you know now it's been great to see the popularity of that being established and essentially it's a straightforward thing right it takes it takes a set of sql statements and it chains them together basically in, in a way that allows you to, to to do the tasks you need to do to do data modeling it does a good job so, so where where will the semantic layer live is that part of the the storage and the snowflakes will, will the whole thing, the DBTs, the, the ETLs, the the, where will the semantic live? layer has to live above that. It has to live above that because the data, the SQL database, it has the ability to model data. It does not have the ability to model business. Okay, and if you want to have a semantic layer, you need to model business, and and you know in order to do that, uh, uh, you need to be able to. Uh, uh, take, I mean, I sort of think, what are the sort of things that are required for governance? I mean, what are, are they? It's kind of interesting. Um, uh, let me, let me just, the, uh, the requirements, I think first begin with the fact that, that, you know, you, you start with the data app requirements and then you need this massive number of entities modeled. And, 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 and again, it's, it's how do you build something? How do you build a platform now? What is required for a platform that would be a semantic layer? And, and you know, there isn't one out there. I mean, it's just a fact. I mean, there just is not one that you can go look to and say, I can use this product or I can use this product or I can use that product. And, and I guess the things that, that uh, I see is, is this need to not only support the characteristics of a database that has a, that supports a massive number of entities and the relationships between them, so that you know, rules out SQL databases, right? But that also embeds business logic into the database entities, and that's really required to understand the semantics. I mean, that's in the, if you think about a semantic model, that's the other part of semantics is the business logic. Um, that, yeah, I, I would say it's it's. The, the it's the ontology the way how you're modeling the business modeling the knowledge and then it's the connection of that to the actual data wherever it is right and, and, and then that are mappings exactly. rules transforms however you want to go call it queries. what you're really describing okay let's let's separate this one for section section so so you've got the, the modern data stack which is modeling data and we have a we have standardized relational models that are being built, SQL models that are being built on top as a part of that. That data model needs to get reflected into the semantic model. But it's probably not, at least for now, it's probably not defined in the semantic model. Maybe eventually it gets defined in the semantic model and pushed down into the data layer. That may happen someday, but right now that's it's not happening for sure because the data layer is being defined and maybe you can just treat this as a, a source of information. And so you've got this semantic model that 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 is it needs to understand the data model, but then it needs to understand a lot more than that too. It needs to understand the relationships between the data first and foremost. That's what turns it into an ontology, 
And then it also needs to understand the business semantics around that, you know, how you calculate, you know, price, how you calculate earnings, how you calculate this. And so you now have business entities that are terms that are understandable by business analysts. And those will map underneath to the data structures that, that ultimately will come out of the modern data stack. Now, you know, some things, you, you know, a lot of that's great because you can use that to, for example, define business metrics. And this mm -hmm. is kind of where Tristan's starting to head with DBT. If you read his latest blog on, yeah. on this, he's focusing on metrics. And, you know, well, I'm trying to, like, I've been thinking about this and I'm, I don't know, but, but, but what the hell is a business metric really? It's an interesting question, right? What is a metric? And what's a metric? You tell me. You guys so tell me. I actually, so tell last, me. Tell me. So what? last week I was at Data Council AI in Austin and I was having good conversation with Ben Stansel. And because we've had this conversation, right? So I loved how we described it was you give me a list of things. Those things should be, those should, you know, that those things should be elements in my ontology, the, the business concept. The, give me the list of customers, a list of suppliers, a list of users, right? And then there is a calculation, some calculation. Uh, and that's your, that's, that's your metric that what is the revenue? What is, the, what is the, the, the active days or like some math that is occurring and that math that is occurring occurs over those list of things. Let me give you a shorter definition. Let me try a shorter definition. A business, an entity is a function applied to the relation, a, 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 let me say, a metric is a function applied to the relationship between business entities, between entities. And it's really about the fact that you have, like, I've got, I have a fact table and then I've got a, and this is, if you think about it, I've got a fact table and I have a dimension table, right? So you have a relationship between those two and it's that, and you're aggregating that relationship typically. And then, you know, we may say it's an average, average function or whatever, a median function you're applying to it. And it's about the relationship between things. And, and if you think about these things, and, and historically people have thought about these things in, in a multidimensional way. Now, if you start to just think about them pure relational, it's it it takes you know it's it's n dimensions basically, because everything can relate to everything else. Uh, okay, Th this is a big aha moment. It is five twenty nine. I'm just getting the twenty nine minute mark. What you just said here, a metric is a function applied to the relationships between business entities. And between if we, yeah. right, Usually entities, right? So if we split this up, we say, well, first of all, the function is what I would meant like some calculation, but. Think about it. Now, look, metric is a function applied to relationship between business entities. Now, if we go from the other way around is give me the list of business entities, your things, the relationships between them. So if I draw them on the whiteboard, the business entities are the bubbles. Don't try to do that in Snowflake. It won't work. Well, but, but look, but, I mean, okay. think about it. Okay. See what I'm saying? You can't do that in a, in a SQL database. The question Fair point. Again, that's why we're thinking about graphs here, right? Give me business entities, which are bubbles on the whiteboard. The relationships are the lines between them, what makes it into a graph. Right. So that's my ontology. So relationships between business entities. And then the metric is some function, a math, a calculation over that stuff. And, and, and this, okay. This is a, this is, I, I love how we've been able to get this very concise, crisp. Um, I exercises that I've gone through is I tell people, let's just draw it on the whiteboard. And then when I tell people, what is the problem you're trying to go solve? And they literally will draw a, a big bubble around it. Well, I'm trying to understand the relationships between this thing over here. And then that's like, yeah, that's your metric because you're trying to figure out what is the, 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 the flow of things going in and out and so forth. 
and of course it can be more complicated than just two entities because you can have these, these aggregates can be these aggregates can can be cumulative right so you it's, layer on top of each other you layer on top of it and and you know i think that that the, the reality of this is you know it come back to what do you need and and i i i mean i will say i start this 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 thing from a perspective and i will admit this that um you know my sort of journey uh you know in this path of to knowledge graphs let me just say you know i'll go back to 84 i think it was 84 when i was working and and i was building a network database i was working on a, a system that was on the network database on a, a an ibm pc it was called db vista and but it was a true it was very very sophisticated database it was not relational at all it was purely networking and uh uh, we were looking at at some of the, the, the different kinds of problems that that you'd need to solve back then. And I had a boss who, who I'm still very good friends with, uh, who uh, uh, was talking about the issue, the ideas of modeling. And this was the time when modeling was totally in and everybody was focused on building pretty pictures of models. And they actually were model generators. The company Inrix, which is still around building these modeling systems, they were around back in the early 80s. It used to generate COBOL code, okay? You'd build a model. I don't know if people remember this. They'd build a model and you talk about the relationships between the different business entities and things and, and, and you generate COBOL code, which ran. Of course, it was unmaintainable. It didn't work. It was total disaster. It never it was a complete, complete, complete non-starter. But this idea of building business models and then having those models be executable, to me, that's always been the holy grail. And that's the promise of knowledge graphs, right? That's the promise. Yeah. But the thing is, the question is, you know, we start with this um, much messier state of current applications because, you know, application logic is by definition split between the database and the application. Frequently, there's the database is just a, if you just CRUD, you could do so you CRUD reads and writes out of a database. But a lot of times, there's a lot of, it's a SQL database. There might be a lot of logic inside that SQL database, particularly if there's stored procedures there. And uh, and those things have not gone away, by the way. They're still around by, in every every regard. And, um, uh, and so people start with this fairly messy infrastructure to build applications. And I think there's a promise to dramatically simplify that over time. But this has to be driven by a business requirement, something that that you can't do effectively today. And the thing that you can't do effectively today is manage massive numbers of, of, of entities and do joins between them. And and that's the problem that the platform has to solve. And, and the reason why governance, I think governance is a is a chocolate mess right now. I'll just describe it as a chocolate mess. Um, you know, I, I can list like 12. I mean, there's like 30 different vendors in this space. They're all over. You guys are one of them. Uh, Data World's one of them. There's all these these vendors. They all do pieces and parts of the thing. They don't really work together. Um, and there's and, and you know if you're a poor customer trying to make sense out of this, good luck. And I think the challenge that and the reason why this we're in this state of somewhat cacophony is because there is no common platform to build a metadata governance solution for the modern data stack. And the reason there's no platform is, is that the requirements of that platform are, are not satisfied by any database that's currently on the market. And, it, you know, and until we see a database that does that, which I think will be a relational knowledge graph, um, uh, then, you know, we'll have, we'll, we'll continue to see confusion. But it'll, I think it'll sort out in the next few years, because I think we will see that relational knowledge graph. And I think this will start to sort out. That's interesting. And so obviously, 
you're talking about how the database may play a big factor here, that technology. I've been building databases my whole life. What do you think? I mean, everything was database to me. It has to, it has to do with databases. That's part of the answer. Um, w- one question, just to zoom out a little bit. So you're talking about governance. You're talking about this sort of mess that you're trying to deal with. And then add on top of that mess some, some additional chocolate mess of governance on top. Um, like how how do you envision catalog and governance helping with the semantic layer? Like how are these two things actually going to well, come together? Eventually they become the core, right? I mean, they, they become the core of the knowledge graph. I mean, you guys are heading in that direction and that's certainly part of where you're focused, but, but the, the catalog in a sense is at the simplest room, there's a raw catalog of data sources, right? Which is, you know, an uncultivated raw catalog of just a list. And that's a pretty straightforward data structure, actually. Maybe it's hierarchy. It's, it looks a lot like a table. Maybe there's some hierarchy in there. Um, but the question now is when you take that raw sources of data and, you know, and you're dealing with tens of thousands and thousands of data sources in these very large corporations, you will wind up when you get all that together, you know, each one of those has hundreds, thousands of tables. You get millions of entities out of it. I mean, it, it's big. Big, 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 and and it's so big that it's it's almost non. I mean, certainly for the biggest enterprises, it's not human scalable. I mean, it, the numbers are beyond you know what people can really deal with. So we now have to figure out how to compartmentalize that and and begin to cultivate that raw set of of data resources and turn it into something that makes sense to a business. And there's a lot that can be done, and a lot of the tools that are out there are using machine learning and things to begin to build business on top, to begin to build the basis of business structures from that. Um, but, but you know, we'll do more. I think we'll see more over time in improving that. And then there is the augmented side. I mean, this is the thing is that an ontology has to be learned because you have potentially millions of, of, of entities that you have to somehow bring in and, and, and correlate in some way. And then you have it has to also be augmented by human knowledge because because you can't look at this shit and understand what the business logic is. It's just impossible. The semantics are scattered everywhere. Ben wrote a good paper on this recently where he talked about the the semantics being scattered all over the place. Um, And and just even finding them is tough. And the, 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 the opportunity with the knowledge graph is those business semantics can all be encapsulated in one place, hopefully in a way that humans can understand it. And I'm, by humans, I mean business analyst type people, not programmers. Yeah, no, this is a really important aspect here. You're saying is is, I think we always live in this world that everything we want to be automated, and and, and yeah, we can't start from scratch and go expect talking to people and, and build this completely manual. You want to be able to go learn this stuff as much as you can, but we also need to acknowledge that it's like the knowledge comes from our brains, our people, we have, we have context. That, so we need to have this, I mean, we always talk about human in the loop and I was Where is that what? knowledge stored today in business? Where is it today? So I, it's, it's, I mean, it's stored in schemas. It's stored in a bunch of queries in, in reports, in Python, queries, Python code. It's, it's stored How much in, is it in procedures. Still? How much of it in, is still in Excel? In Excel, in access databases. Uh, it, it, Oh, I, oh no, unfortunately, I get to see those things. Uh, it's it's in application logic, right? It it's it's in uh, the quality, right? People are are oh, this thing came out this other way. It's literally all over the place, right? And the thing is that 
Um, and there's just so many bodies that are buried all over the place and people retired and it, it's, it's, it's somewhere in Florida. Oh, yeah, where- yeah. This is the thing, this is the thing where, where the business logic becomes, becomes lost in history because the person who wrote it is no longer at the company. And then, yeah. you know, a lot of it no longer makes sense too, right? A lot of it is ancient having to do with failed programs and things like that, that somebody put in there and nobody knows whether you can take it out or not. Right. These are the challenges. And part of it is you, what you want to do. You know, I always said when, when people move to the, to Snowflake, I always told them use your, the tool that you use to move data. Like if you use Informatica or talent, whatever, use that, that continue using that tool and just redirect it to Snowflake, get your data on Snowflake, begin to build off of there and then think about how you clean up the other stuff. You know, the challenge with the older tools is they lack all the data, right? Because you're selecting data and you're moving fields and all the field mapping and all that kind of stuff versus just sucking it all up and putting it in in the data warehouse where you have all the data now and you can do whatever you want with it, which is the more modern way of handling it. But but people don't do these things very quickly. It takes a long time. And and that's why I say you don't go from, oh, you know, great. The knowledge graph is the holy grail of data modeling and executable models. Woohoo! I look forward to that day. You know, we're talking 2030, 2035, that kind of period, which is not unreasonable, by the way. I mean, I've been doing this thing for 40 years. It's not unreasonable to think that this will take, you know, eight, 10 years to happen. But in the interim, there are business problems that are real that have to get solved. And they and, and the current generation of platforms are inadequate to solve it. And predominantly the issues have the issues that are most acute for many companies. I mean, there's other business issues that perhaps companies have that are quite acute, but but one that is broadly applicable across pretty much everyone that's implemented the modern data stack is governance. And part of the reason why we have some of the chocolate mess associated with with the current thing, it all comes down to the fact that there's no standardized platform to build this stuff on. All right. Well, we're going to, I want to start shifting into our lightning round uh, uh, section here, because I know we keep talking. There's so much stuff. So, all right, let's move to our lightning round, which again, thanks to data world who sponsors us. Uh, the, uh, so I'll go with question number one, are semantic graph skills going to be required for enterprises to build out their knowledge graphs? Are, are semantic what skills? Just semantic skills, semantic graph, like just knowing more about graph and semantic skills. I, I think this is one of the skill challenges to me is by far the biggest concern I have in terms of this transition. You know, I think we move from a world where, where business logic is defined procedurally in code, you know, in languages like Python to declarative business logic that is essentially a set of rules that are attached to the entities. And, and that then are triggered you know, in sequence based on, on what on other changes to data and other rules that have fired so that, 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 they, that they can actually be recursive and, 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 and react to whatever happens and, and, and respond in a way that is completely coherent with the logic that you have that you've defined. And you know this goes back to the original work that Cod did um, back in the 1970s you know, where, where COD defined both uh, a, uh, 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 what was it, the, uh, trying the word, um, blanking on, on, on relational calculus, relational algebra. He defined both calculus, he defined a relational calculus, which was purely declarative, a purely declarative relational calculus um, that, that you could, you could work with. And that is, that's analogous to the procedural code. Yeah. So, I mean, we got, we got, I think we have to go uh, start getting people and teaching them again 
Logic, logic training is logic is logic is back gonna be back. I think I think logic, logic is back, back, baby. Think about and AI, more AI, which is just machine learning. It is going back to GoFi, good old fashioned AI with rules and stuff. Tim, go to the second one. Your turn. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, Bob, I'm gonna ask you for the second question here, kind of a, a prediction question, and I'm actually gonna put a little bit of a timeline on it. So, let's say in the next ten years. Um, will most enterprises build out an enterprise knowledge graph or enterprise knowledge graphs in the next yeah. 10 years? Absolutely. In 10 years, absolutely. absolutely. Five years, I'm not so sure. Five years, you might be a little bit the question. Five years, a little edgier? Five years, I think it'll be happening. I don't think it will have gotten to the word most right now. Okay. Have most, how many, would you, if not, I wouldn't even say most have gone onto the modern data stack yet. Yeah, I would say not, not most. Yeah, I guess the question is how many, and, and they're already starting their journey by using one of the Snowflake or Databricks. Like that's the first step, right? Well, and that brings up an interesting question. Like, will, is the modern data stack a requirement to building your enterprise knowledge graph? Effectively. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you it's the only way to do it because you can do it by hand. There are other approaches that, that people have done. But you better be out in Silicon Valley and have an awful lot of money hmm. to do it. I mean, any rational company that that would would probably adopt the services that are purchasable by these one of these vendors versus trying. You can handle all this stuff, and and you know, and if you're, you know, Netflix or you know one of these guys, you can succeed at some of that stuff. And even those guys are turning to the modern data stack. I mean, even even people who have invested massively massively in alternative solutions are are uh, are using the modern data stack because it works and it's not cheap i'm not telling you that this stuff is cheap um but it's it's very cost effective relative to the alternatives of, of diy all right all right next question is the semantic layer going to happen as a byproduct of something else or will it be deliberately built uh both I mean, it, it will be deliberately built, but I think it will be built in the context of governance. I think governance is the first application for the, for, for the, the knowledge graph and the semantic layer. Hmm. Interesting. Governance is a key driver there. I, I think so because it's acute. I mean, it's acute. It's an acute problem that everybody has and it's not being adequately solved. I like that take. Um, all right, fourth question for you here. Do you predict that ultimately there will be wide adoption of an open metadata standard? Yes. I mean, to, I mean, at least for exchange of metadata. Metadata exchange is actually pretty simple. And um, uh, what is what's the uh, you know not the uh, what's the what's the, uh, the the standard? The Apache has a standard. Uh, standard. Uh, Atlas. Atlas. Atlas is not a terrible basis. I mean, I don't think that, that, that I think that it's a foundation that people can build upon. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that it'll be the end by any means, though. Excellent that you brought up Atlas. Before here, I was talking to Venkatesh, uh, and he he's actually says uh, hello, right? Yeah. So I was talking about Apache Atlas with him. So yeah, um, it's interesting. I think there's, I think that, look, having something that is adequate is often sufficient to build to build this, these interchanges. You don't you have to have, in fact, you usually don't want every bell and whistle. You put all the bells and whistles doesn't work. That's interesting, yeah. Well, you know, quick follow-up question to that. I know we're breaking our lightning rolls a little bit here, but do you think that open metadata standards are gonna be driven more by 
sort of the community and the consumer pull? Or do you think some vendor is going to kind of win at the metadata game, quote unquote, and they'll have been, you know, pushing a particular standard? I don't know because it's too early to know how it's going to work. I mean, I, I think this is the wild. I mean, this this is this place is wild west right now. It's 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 not clear how how it's going to emerge. It's, it reminds me a lot of the data analytics world in 2013, 2014, yeah. where the clarity just wasn't there. Yeah, the early landscape where you're like, it could go this way, it could go that way. There's a lot of possibilities there. I mean, there's no dominant vendor that is obvious at the moment that would would clearly dominate. There's you know, well-established vendors that have been around for a while, and there's the big cloud guys, but but nothing that's obvious that, that's going to become a single dominant thing. All right, uh, we're all right. We're going to go to our next segment here. The new one is the the Mesh Minute. We we haven't talked about data mesh, so we're we're starting to go do this. Uh, I want to time it to a minute. I actually, got here my my clock. One minute, you can rant, pontificate, whatever you want about data mesh. Ready, go. What's a blog without a talk about data? What's a discussion without data mesh? Uh, mesh is really two things in my mind. It is a organizational model that describes how to structure data teams into domains and leverage that. And I think that those concepts are just basically right fundamentally. Those are strong concepts. They've been around for a really long time. They've been applied to software development. They're being applied to data. They're appropriate particularly for larger teams. Mesh sometimes tries to define implementation approaches that I don't think necessarily are the right approach. And I think it's important to separate an implementation of a data mesh from, from the organizational structure. And my opinion is the best products to implement data mesh are, are the modern data stack. And to use, you know, certainly tools like Snowflake were designed to allow for data sharing and organizational and, and organizational structures like Mesh proposes, so perfectly like, fine. That was good. That was I great. Like of mesh. I like the I like the domain organization in Mesh. I mean, I don't necessarily like the prescription for how to build uh, streaming based things that I've not I think there's a lot yeah. of things that are kind of tied together. But yeah, the domain driven concept is it's not it's, it's not new, concept. but it's now re kind of reborn again, right? It's, yep. it's actually to me the important concept of mesh. And I think it's incredibly important when we start talking about governance, okay, because for large organizations, you know, thinking about or about data domains and separating points of control. I agree totally with that. I agree totally with that. If you're a hundred person company and you're a three person data team, that's pretty different though. <laughs> All right. Well, TTT, Tim, take us away with your takeaways. Kick it off. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I like the comment that you just made there that like, you know, governance and data mesh are, are, are important to each, to each other and that, uh, and that domains are a key concept there. I think that's, I think that's, resonates a lot with the way I think about things. I think it resonates pretty closely with, with Juan's perspective too. So it's good. It's good to hear that. And one of the reasons I, why I'm very excited about data mesh. A um, couple things I, I wrote down here. First of all, is that, you know, we're reaching a point where a lot of the problems of old data stacks are being exposed. A lot of folks are moving to the modern data stack. We're seeing more and more of that. And a lot of the goals here are what you mentioned around building data apps which ultimately are going to be, you know, predictive analytics that become part of customer applications in order to take actions. 
uh, and that governance happens to be one kind of data app. And you, you kind of mentioned that it's probably one of the ones that you implement early or perhaps uh, even at the start uh, and can be a foundation for, for more semantics, for more sort of data apps that you want to do in the future. Um, and you went through some of the history around the modern data stack, which I think is very important and valuable, especially for folks who are a little bit newer to the data space, who maybe only know the modern data stack, and they don't even know like what was before. They're like, what? Before Redshift? Like Redshift is the legacy thing, right? Um, and so obviously, it's good to know, like, why are we here? Why? Where have we come from? And, um, you know, what are some of the design patterns here? And um, And you mentioned these five core sort of most popular platforms around the metadata stack uh, or the modern data stack, right? Um, and those being sort of AWS, Microsoft, Google, Snowflake, and Databricks. And bigger companies and, you know, and smaller ones too are often using multiple of these, but these are sort of the ecosystems that are forming around these five key players to provide uh, analytics, um, uh, software as a service, public cloud, and ultimately SQL as a, as a core component of this modern data stack. What about you, Juan? All right, so I got three three main things. One, governance is where people are struggling, right? You, we talked about your, your first knowledge graph should be your metadata, and governance is really that first data app. And uh, you start with a catalog, and then you build up with your data model, right? That's what governance is going to go evolve to, so governance. Second, the semantic layer is about modeling the business. And the key phrase, the key takeaway here is metric is a function applied to the relationships between business entities. And the really the promise here of knowledge graphs is that is making these business this, these business models executable. So you start thinking about the semantic layer plus the catalog, like that's gonna be the core right there. And, and these ontologies of semantic layer, these have to be learned, but they also need to be augmented by humans. And then finally, you said SQL is not God's gift to, to mankind, to everybody here, but it won't go away. It does have its limitations. We're learning more about them. A lot of data modeling can be done in SQL, but we're going to be seeing more when you start thinking more about logic uh, and, and knowledge representation and so forth. Uh, how did we do, Bob? Great. No, I think those are all, those are all rational takeaways. I mean, I, and I think that, that I see governance as the bridge between uh, today's modern data stack in the future of knowledge graphs. And, and I think, you know, these two things are integrated, but they're also, they're also independent in the long run too. I mean, the knowledge graphs will be leveraged for the modern data stack for many years. Um, uh, eventually perhaps the knowledge graph will replace it. You know, we can do everything, but we're, we're at least 10 years away from that, maybe 15. Well, I, 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 what you just said is just the music to my ears and kind of everything I have in my passion because this has been like the last, my, my academic and adult career last 15 years has just been about semantics and knowledge graphs. So just finally seeing this here and having you, Bob, talking about this, it, it's like, okay, we're heading the right direction. So it's um, coming. It's, it's, it's coming. coming. It's, it's early. Coming. I, I want to, I just can't stress how early it's like SQL was in the early 80s. That's my comparison. I mean, it's, it's, it, and it'd be really, maybe even the late 70s. I mean, it's, it's, it's really early in this, this journey. Yeah. SQL's been around for 40 years. 40. Okay. Uh, a, I think a, a, call, a call out to people here is that if you're, if you're skeptical about this, all right, fine. You'll be a follower. You won't be a leader because this is where we're going. So, well, I mean, look, I think that people just get on the modern data stack, they're taking the right step. I mean, people can do so much. I mean, they start with this 
you know, mess of a situation that they have. Really, I mean, you know, where you go back, most companies that are not using the modern data stack are using Excel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, the state of the art is a finance analyst. And, I think that's a hopeful message, Bob, that you're providing here. Because I think sometimes people who are a little more cynical about the modern data stack might be like, ah, it feels like it's the new generation of point-to-point -point solutions or things like that. But I, I, I get the spirit or the feeling that you're like, yeah, maybe there's going to be some missteps or things like that. But like, this is the train to ride. This is the train that's going to take you towards the knowledge future. Uh, welcome aboard. You should. And, you know, she's one of those vendors. And, and I, you know, they're all getting there, right? I mean, they're all actually improving and getting there. So, All right, Bob. Final two questions. One, what's your advice about data, about life, whatever? Second, who should we invite next? So, you know, about about data, and I think I just said it right, really, which is get on the modern data stack. That's the thing I really would say to everyone that is about data, certainly. And I guess life, I would say, you know, try and chill out in today's world. I mean, sitting there watching the Ukrainians, you know, the, the horrible things that are happening in the world today. We're, you know, this is one of the, I grew up through the Cold War. <laughs> I, I ducked and covered when I was a kid in, high, in, in, in elementary school. And, um, you know, we're in a weird time right now. It's a weird time in the world. Um, we're seeing, I think we may have a rough year. I mean, the year we're seeing super high inflation rates. You know, I don't know whether we may head for a recession or not. It would not surprise me. So I think we're going to, it's going to, there's a rough time in the next year or two. Hopefully all these things straighten out and, and we all wind up in a better place as a result. I'm a big believer that technology is what moves the world forward and helps to make things better. Um, I, be I believe that somewhat naively. I know that, that, that for every step forward, there are backward steps, you know, one, two steps forward, at least one step back, maybe three sometimes. And, um, uh, but I do believe that we're heading in the right direction. And by making data, one of the things I've been a huge believer in is, is that data when believed and trusted just cuts through and makes decisions so much easier and, and you know i can tell you there's so many times i would sit and we would have discussions on a business item and we talk about it for two to three weeks and you get to the end of it and you don't really know what to do but you see make a decision you know the difference between that and being able to say what does the data say and then look at that data and then decide how to respond to that. And it's just very real. And it's a major cultural change for companies. So the reason I say move the modern data stack is to become data driven and have that become imbued within your culture. And then to begin to do, you know, today's world, once you become data driven, you really want to use to, to apply predictive analytics to it because that's when the magic happens. That's where you get superpowers and can see, you know, see problems in, that were otherwise invisible, predict the future. I mean, do all these things with predictive analytics for real, for real. And, <laughs> and it's a superpower and it, it makes making business decisions so much better. So that's why I just say focus and, and get to that today, become data driven and then follow the path to data applications and ultimately to the future of ontologies and knowledge graphs. All right. And quickly, who should we invite next? Well, you haven't had Benoit and that'd be a good one. All um, right. So we will ask for that. Uh, Bob, this was amazing. I, this is, thank you so much for this conversation. I think the, the, so much stuff that we've gotten out of this and, and being very hopeful about what the future is and it's cheaper for everybody. So uh, next, quickly, next week, we have Nong Lee, who's the CEO of Okara, and we'll be talking about the policies and data. Uh, so that's next week.
Bob, thank you so much again. Thanks to Data Art World for supporting us all the time at Catalog and Cocktails. I get to get to do this every week. So cheers, Bob. Cheers, Tim. Cheers. Cheers. This cheers. is Catalog cheers. and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.